0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. One nation, indivisible. That's true right now in our country about one thing, Top Gun Maverick. Is an unbelievable movie, and 97% of the American population agrees. It's unbelievable, right? There's absolute unity on the idea that that may be one of the great sequels ever. Raise your hand if you've seen it. Does anyone disagree that it's not a good movie? Wallenstein. You know, that's the 1% right over there, right? Really. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're about to plot you as zealots in just a minute, okay? And we can discuss it after. I have, I have a nitpick with it. But I think it was, I think it was fabulous. Um, aside from Top Gun Maverick, our... Can you imagine making something and just earning a billion dollars in a week? Um, aside from Top Gun Maverick, our nation as not a surprise to anyone, horribly divided on nearly every issue. And it's not just that we're divided, because division, human beings are different, right? Human beings in the same family, the same genetic makeup, who had the same cultural inheritance, often disagreeing, it's not just that we're divided. If we were just divided, that would be a natural human condition. What I'm witnessing, and you can tell me if I'm off base, is that our division has turned into mutual enmity-laden zealotry, where it's not just that we're believers in our own certainties, but we're zealots for them. And every issue, it seems, seems to be a black and white issue for every person a fulcrum on which our sense that the future and the character of the nation rest. Every issue, every headline seems to be, for so many people, an issue about which, if this politician doesn't vote this way on this issue, they've earned my enmity and my opprobrium forever, not to mention every religious leader and political leader. That's a different scale. It's one thing for human beings on complicated issues to have different opinions on things. It's quite another thing for us to live through what I consider to be endless zealotry. Endless, not extremism of the position itself, but extremism with respect to how we consider our own positions on things and other positions on things. And I wonder how tenable and long-lasting that can be. And I want to lean into what it means to be a zealot for causes. Interestingly, remember, I don't remember if it's in the Lev Shalem, but it's definitely in the old Mahzor that um, in the Alchaits, you know how the Alchate is an uh, ac- uh, acrostic, so at some point, we, they was turned into an English acrostic to find a sin for each one of the English letters, of the alphabets. Uh, we, are, we are xenophobic. That was well done. Um, and what's the Z? We are zealots, right? It names that not to have a strong belief in something, but to have a zealous or a zealotrous approach to an issue is a sin for which we beg forgiveness on Yom Kippur. There is zealotry in Parshat Pinchas. Sorry, that was a, uh, a Freudian slip. In Parshat Balak, about Pinchas that comes at the end of the Parsha, right? Parshat Pinchas, which is next week, is mostly not about Pinchas. Parshat Balak, in the end, introduces us to the thing that Pinchas is known for. There gonna be two parts of this teaching. The first is just going to be a somewhat slow lingering over the nine verses that tell the story of Pinchas. That lingering can take an hour. It's an extraordinary set of Torah verses, but we're not going to do it in an hour, obviously. And the second is going to be a couple of commentaries that see Pinchas, I think, in two different lights. So again, a heads up that we're going to go through this slower than it, is, it was lamed, but quicker than it should be to get the full color. Does anybody not have a sheet? Hopefully those who are following from home, you don't have a sheet? Or are you are just holding your cup up? Okay, you don't have a sheet. Uh, can someone g- give a sheet to Paul? Okay. Uh, hopefully, those of you come, uh, following from home, found the sheets in the uh, in the email. I'll do as much of it out loud as possible, but some of the sources will uh, would require a sheet. And sorry about the typo at the very top. We are not asdat We are adat beit Okay. And it's a day ahead, right? So this is like you already you already know what tomorrow is going to bring. So that's pretty exciting. Okay, so at the end of the narrative about Bilam the prophet, we have an entirely different story. I'm going to go through this slowly. I will not get to hear all of your answers, but I want you to be thinking about, this is a classic, simple question about Torah. What stands out to you? What would you want to ask a question about if you were in a 90-minute shiur on just these verses? We're not going to get to all of them, but I'm curious if any stand out. I'm going to lead the witness a bit as I go through the slow translation. Vayeshev Yisrael bashitim. Israel, Jewish people, dwelled, stayed, lingered at a place called Shitim. Vayachel ha'am, Vayachel is either related to the word Vayachil, to begin, or related to the root that means to cause something to happen. Vayachel ha'am li'znot, it's a very hard three-word Hebrew phrase to translate into a three-word English. Somehow, the Israelites, the nation began to engage in znut, which is licentiousness, um, prostitution, sexual inappropriateness. El Benot Yisrael, to or towards the daughters of Moab. What's that? A Moab, another Freudian slip. El Benot Moab, thank you. So the women of Moab either enticed the Israelite men or the Israelite men initiated it, but there was Znut going on. Znut is a bad thing, right? Intimacy is not a bad thing, but Znut is a bad form of intimacy in our culture and hopefully in most. Mosque. Interesting jump. It began with znut, which has to do with bodies, right? But immediately the verse says, but this was not just a body problem, this was a God problem. Because those benot Moab, those women of moav, brought the Am, the nation, close to Vatikrana, called them to Zivchelohen, come daven with us. But davening there was not mincha, it was idolatry. Bayochal Am, we add a third sense, right? There is the, the, the sense that satisfies a sexual urge there's a sense that satisfies the idolatrous urge, and they ate, right? So all of their, or many of their senses were being stimulated. And they went, and they did the one thing that is the sine qua non, defining what idolatry is, they actually bowed down, right? They could no longer have plausible deniability. No, I wasn't, I was just eating at the Kiddush. I wasn't davening at shul. They bowed down. Great verb coming up, Vayi tzameid Yisrael leval Tzamad means to be... um, very close, connect, closely connected something to be hooked in, to be almost wrapped in. Israel became deeply embedded. How is it translated here? Attached. It's, it's more than attached. Leval Pa'or to this nation or this concept or this place of Val Pa'or. Vayi char af Adonai Beisrael, often translated as anger. It means that nostrils flared. God's anthropomorphic nostrils flared upon Israel. God is very angry. So that is a lot of story in three sentences. Aronai God is unequivocal here, by the way. God said to Moshe, kachet kol take all the leaders. Have we heard about the leaders yet in this section? No, it's interesting, right? We'd heard about um, the, the women of Moab and the nation, right? We don't know that the, that the leaders were the ones responsible for it, but God goes quickly to take all of the leaders of the nation. Vehoka otam. Like, impale them, right? This is medieval uh, retribution, but it's pre-medieval, but there's nothing genteel about this. Neged Hashamesh, literally negat Hashamesh means against or in the presence of the sun. It's often translated as, um, um, JPS translates it in a way that I don't like, but I, I forgot how they translate it. I put it as in, in broad daylight, right? Meaning this is not a surreptitious act. I, God, am not at all nervous about other people seeing that this was my punishment for these people. Do it with, when the sun is shining. This is God doing a prediction about God's own anger. If you do that, I'll calm down. The ticket, the price to have my anger come down is all I ask for, just impale the leaders of the nation to whom I am the God, and everything will be fine. Moses said to the officers of Israel, which may or may not be the same thing as the heads, Rashe usually refers to the heads of each tribe. Shoftei, Israel might be the people who were in charge of kind of corralling the Israelites. Simple command, Moses says. Just hear gu ish anashav. Just kill all the men. Hanitzmadim, who are, this is the passive form of the verb by Yitzhamed, who are so deeply embedded, leval So Moses transmits a very clear, harsh, but very clear divine command to the people. Just kill them all. And we can just move past this. It will be a little blip. I'm setting up, hopefully, by going slowly, how complicated it is to assess our own emotions regarding what Pinchas is about to do. So we have not heard that what God told Moses to tell the Shoftim to do happened. But hanging over us is mass execution of the leaders of the people. Within that context, there was one Israelite amongst all that group. Ba, he comes. He brought towards his brethren, not necessarily his brothers, but his people. It's interesting, the Midianite woman. It doesn't say a Midianite woman, the Midianite woman. Was she well known? Was she particularly beautiful? Was she a temptress? Did she represent all the other Midianite women? The the ha is very interesting. There's no answer to it. But the Midianite, ne Moshe, with Moses watching. So figure the scene. Moses is trying to see if the officers are going to do what he asked them to do, which is to kill all the men who are connected. In the middle of that, while the execution is waiting to happen, a standard Israelite says, look at this Midianite woman I found. He brings it over his brothers with Moses watching the whole thing. Le'Einei Kol Adap in Israel and the eyes of all of the congregation of Israel. The hema bochim petach ohel moed. It is very hard to know how to to do the syntax of the next phrase. The words are are easy. Hema they bochim are crying present tense. Petach ohel moed at the opening to the tent of meeting. Does it mean that the guy brought this midnight woman in front of Moses and the people while they were all crying? And what were they crying for? Were they crying because there's about to be mass execution on God's will? Are they crying because they're feeling guilty? Hard to know. Or does it mean that because while this sentence was hanging, an Israelite man still continued his licentious ways by trying to entice his fellow people with his Midianite women, that they all burst into tears? We don't know. It's a hanging present tense uh, phrase. Vayar Pinchas, in the midst of this incredibly intense scene, a guy we don't really know much about, Pinchas, Ben al the son of Elazar, Ben Aaron of Kohen. Therefore, he is Aaron's grandson. He's Moshe's grand-nephew. He's involved. Maybe he has friends who are part of the Rashim, whom God said to kill. Maybe he could have been in one of that categories. He's not a nobody. He's not, as my teacher Rabbi Roth would say, a noch leper. Vayakom mitoch ha'edah. He got up, kuma, lakum, mitoch, from amidst the congregation. Vayikach romach beado. He takes a spear in his hand. If that verse is in the middle of nowhere in the Torah, you're saying, Pinchas, what are you doing? A spear in your hand. That verse in context is, oh, Pinchas is doing exactly what's asked of him, right? God asked Moses to have everybody kill the people who are doing the bad stuff. Pinchas says, oh, I, that's exactly what you just asked me to do. achar ish Israel, he goes after that Israelite man that we met in verse 6. El hakuba, a word we've never seen before in the Torah it's translated as inner chamber sanctum room he goes into the Kuba. i guess it means that the israelite man and the midnight woman had gone deeper into the tent of meeting to do their nasty stuff as close into god's presence as possible vaid korech nehem he spears both of them at isha yisrael the israelite man aisha <laughs> and the israelite woman El <laughs> kovata. whether you know hebrew or not you know uh, assonance and alliteration, kuba and kovata, right? They're really the same word. So they had gone deep in to the most tender part of the community, and he impaled them deep into the most tender part of their bodies. It's so often translated as her belly. Interestingly, it's not their belly, her belly. Like he aimed for her belly, and somehow the man got speared as well. Vateatsar Magifa, as God kind of predicted, the terrible thing. Stopped! Me'al B'nai Israel. This actually ended with much less bloodshed than would have been because God was going to slew many people. Still, many people did die, as we learn in the next verse. How many people died in this plague? Our Vesrim Alf, 24,000. Whether we take that number as fact or myth, it's not a minion, it's a lot of people. The Torah is telling us that this cost the Israelites a lot of humanity. I want to linger on that for an hour, not going to. I want to just pause for a second. What jumps out at you as interesting, worthy of questioning, asking about? I see Sima, and then I see Aaron. And for those on Zoom, I'll try to repeat as much as possible. So what Sima says is that Moshe seems to water down or certainly interpret what God says, and not the first time that Moses is like the first person to offer a midrash. Moses is giving a drash in God's words. Uh, A question on the question, in what way do you see verse 5 as watering down verse 4? Is it because it's not the impaling? It's just a a more, I don't know, like a more genteel killing. Is that is that the watering down, the Rashim. Got it. Okay. So so in some ways, whatever happens in verse five, it's not word for word what God says in verse four. So Moses is giving an interpretation on in God's word, maybe lightening the uh, the mm. sentence a bit. Aaron. Yeah pause, let me do that one on Zoom, right? So what Aaron is saying is that if you look closely, and we don't know the answers to this, but it's possible that verse 5 takes away the public spectacle, but increases the number, right, from the leaders to, listen, any guy who was caught with a midnight woman, he's gone, okay? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Okay, so Aaron said, first of all, how do we distinguish between Moabite and Midnight women? They're understood, which doesn't mean they were understood correctly, to be somewhat coterminous, uh, that Midian and Moab were, were like synonyms for the same cultural location, and they're used somewhat interchangeably, but that doesn't mean that we've understood it correctly. And then uh, verse 9 seems to suggest that we had been aware that a plague was going on and many people had died, and now we're just getting the number. This seems to be new information to us. Marnie, was your hand up? Right. So as a reader, you might think at the end of verse 8, well, that was awful to read, but at least we're done. And then you get verse 9, 24,000 people died in this? I didn't even know that people were dying in this. I thought that people were sleeping with each other, but not dying. Okay? Uh, two more, and then we're going to go on to the uh, Midrashim. Rabbi Chorney? Good. So what uh, Rabbi Daniel Torney is saying is that we've we've known Midian well before the Book of Numbers. Midian is where Moses fled to from Egypt. It's where he met Sipporah. He became very close with the Midianite priest Yitro. So, is that an exception, or is the problem not the Midianite woman per se, but the Znoot with Midianite women? And are there different types of Midianite women, just like there are different types of many different types of people? Okay, Brant. Uh huh, uh huh. So Brant said two things. One is, on some level, if you're going for just numbers, the more licentiousness, the more pregnancies, the more people in your community, right? So why wasn't that looked at differently? And the last thing, maybe the Israelite man who comes in in verse six is saying, "I'm going to take one for the team. I'm going to do it right in front of Moses, right as Moses is about to slew hundreds of men and do something particularly egregious. I'll die. It'll all be over." The kamikaze, right? Uh, Tyson, I can't not call on you. Uh, interestingly, so that so that the plague comes from the intermingling of bodies. Okay, Cindy. Uh huh. So what Cindy's saying is. Speaking of zealotry, which is the topic we're about to return to, when when the people disappoint God, God becomes zealot par excellence and says, "Oh, I know what to do. Kill them, right? Because they are they're not just um, they're not just erring; they're they're um, irredeemably erring. They are beyond tshuva, and they just have to be eliminated." Okay, that's actually a very good segue because now this is part two. Part one, which just they're great verses worth lingering on. Part two goes back to my opening, which is the state of affairs in contemporaneous, contemporaneous society and how the more things uh, change, the more they stay the same. Two comments Two comments on what Pinchas does. The, pers- the first is source number two, commentary called Mincha Belula, which means like, um, it has to do with the Mincha offering in the temple and it was written by Rabbi Avraham Abra- Menachem Rappaport, 16th century Italy. He goes on the phrase Haamli's note, which again we said is hard to translate. Something like the people began to be licentious. So I uh, or the nation began to be licentious. This is what he says. And and he's focusing on the word ha'am, because the nation suggests an entirety, right? Omnam, indeed. I read the verses, he says, the nation didn't sin. Some people sinned, right? But the nation suggests that every single member of the nation was implicated in what went wrong. That's not what I read, he says. But the the verse says, the people. As if to mean all of it. He wants to make sense of it. Why does the verse use a phrase that means all of it when only some of it were involved? This is, as he says, what people would normally in his 16th century Italian society would say, if someone's hand or someone's foot is sick, he used the word sick, not broken. I wonder if he's talking about a gangrene or something. I can't imagine the ways in which 16th century Italian hygiene uh, obtained here. But in his, he's talking about things that would be said around then. If someone's um, limb is really um, limited by illness, shehu he said, around here, these parts, what you say is, that guy is finished. By the way, that might have been true medically, right? That you don't wait for the, literally the entire body to be about to be dying for you to say, this person is entirely ill. I'm sure we have um, modern cognates of this. Someone who is, God forbid, ravaged with cancer, but their arms are working pretty well, you still say that person is very, very sick. The, the, because all of them is at risk, even though not every cell is implicated even though not every part of their body is not working, you say this person is comprehensively in danger. That's what, uh, according to Rabbi Menachem report is going on in the scene. I forgot to tell you this uh, prompt beforehand. With sources two and three, I want to ask you what, what human urge or what human instinct is being represented by each of these two commentaries? Because I think they're coming at it from opposite perspective. So let me put that out there. What do you think he's saying about the story? How has he resolved the question of, wait a second, it wasn't the whole nation, so why does it say the nation? And what urge is it representing that we actually identify with, which doesn't necessarily mean we agree with, but we can identify it? Anyone? What's his resolution and what's the urge? Miriam? Yeah. What he's saying is, it's possible for a portion of an organism, a human organism, an organism of a nation, to be a little bit infected and for us to be concerned it's going to spread soon so doomsday we're actually all sick already unless we excise this out right anyone else a uh, different read on that i think that's exactly what he's saying here and he's inviting i believe and i'm going to say this with zero judgment because we're going to say the other side soon he's inviting us to recognize that Pinchas and Moshe and God did what was needed. You had a lesion on the liver of the, bo- of the, bo- of the body. You could say, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's only three centimeters on the scan. It's not a problem. But if you don't eliminate it, the whole body will be sick beyond healing soon. Therefore, it takes extreme zealous action to protect the polity. Right? Sometimes that is called for. Sometimes you see something in your family, maybe, or in your society that says, this is not just, I disagree with that approach. It is so broken, so beyond, so sick, that pretty soon, if we do nothing about it, the whole nation's going to be sick. Therefore, I am empowered. I am obligated to zealotry. Now, my act of zealotry is not going to look very nice. How I use my voice, I'm trying to be ancient and modern at the same time. Or how I use my spear, that is not going to look very good but I need to do it, because otherwise, Chol ha'am, the whole nation is done for. Hold that in your mind. Turn the page. A later Hasidic commentary called Shem Mishmuel by Rabbi Shmuel Bornstein Sokoczow, who was the second Sokoczow Rebbe in Poland. I forgot exactly where in Poland it is. And he focuses on the word mitoch from the phrase Vayar Pinchas, the what was going on, Vayakom Mitoch Haida. He got up from amidst the congregation. Remember that Torah study always focuses on words that do not need to be there. If the word was not there, it, the verse could have been fine. Therefore, what is the verse coming to teach us? Vahalashon Mitoch, the word Mitoch from amidst, Lechora Miuteret. At first glance, it's extra. What, I wouldn't have understood the verse if it said Vayakom Pinchas, uh, Vayakom ha, um, he, he got he, he got up uh, to to do this action. I would have known that he got up from where he was sitting. What does the from within mean? The Amar, and now you have a phrase which is a honorific way of referring to a dear teacher. In this case, his father. Um, I think it's Kvod Kedushato, may the, the 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 honor of his glory, Adonenu Morenu V'Rabenu, our teacher, our our scholar, our Rebbe, z- uh, Zecher um, Sadik LeBracha, may his memory be a great blessing. The author of Avne Ezer, the author of the commentary called Avne Ezer, which is his father, the first Sukkot Shavu Rebbe. So he's not quoting or paraphrasing his father. Yadua, it is known. We can laugh at this ad is known in a second, because whatever he's about to say is not true. Yadua, it's known. Shashishim Revo Nishamot Yisrael, the 600,000 souls that were present as Israel traveled throughout the desert, by the way, counting just the men. Makbilot, um, are parallel to the Revo The six hundred thousand. The way you get to six hundred thousand is Shishim is sixty. A Revo in in ancient biblical Hebrew is ten thousand. So sixty times ten thousand is six hundred thousand letters in the Torah. Yeah. The only thing that's not known about this is that that's not the number of letters in the Torah. Right. There are about three hundred fifty thousand letters in the Torah. But listen, they didn't have um, they didn't have Google Math back in Sukachov and. 1896. But he's trying to make a suggestion that every letter of the Torah, there's no letter of the Torah that is not significant. It represents one of the Israelite souls in the desert. <speaking> in <Hebrew> For every mitzvah that you do, meaning following every letter in the Torah, <speaking> in <Hebrew> you are attaching yourself. You are entering yourself into the people of Israel. Every letter, every person, one-to-one, even though the math is off that's why he says that we say this phrase is not very common now it might have been common in the Hasidic community it might actually still be common in the Hasidic community now I don't know a four or five word phrase that you say when you're doing a mitzvah right? We, we might, sometimes like before counting the Omer we say like before the cups of wine apparently in Sokachev before you did a mitzvah you'd say in full unity in the name of all of Israel. I do this mitzvah not just for me. I do this mitzvah to get closer in to every other Jew because every letter of the Torah corresponds to every Jew. Ulam, however, kan in our case, the next phrase I worked on translating for a half an hour with several different colleagues. None of us is convinced that we know exactly what it means, even though we're pretty sure we know what the teaching means in general. Kana'in either refers to Pinchas' own Uh, passionate impulses. Kufnun Aleph means to be jealous of or to be zealous of. I know those words sound similar in English. They also sound similar in Hebrew. To have passionate connection to. And pogea means to hit up against, to attack. The way I translate it here, his own passions were hitting up against him. They were wounding him. He was spurred by a righteous indignation, but he was, he was wounded by his passions. And because in that situation... And if you are making a decision from that place of righteous zealotry, the general rule is to not let the person act in that situation. You want to get in the way of someone's zealotry in action. You want to interrupt deciding from the heat of anger or, or, or judgment an actual action, which is what we almost want someone to have done to God and Moshe in the scene. You want to Erect a barrier. Build that wall. haha, Between the passions and the actions. Certainly as a parent, right? Do you want to act? Will you feel proud if every time you had a certain passionate anger towards a child, you act on it? It's the opposite. That's when you take a breath, meditate, and calm down. That's how I read this. We do not permit someone to do that. Therefore, Hamakane hazeh. This jealous one. He doesn't even name him. He's not even giving Pinchas the honor of being named. I read this as this rabbi saying... I don't know, I feel That jealous one, he is acting rogue. He's acting of his own volition. Out of his own sense of what God wants in the situation. Not necessarily as a direct connection between the general rules of Torah, which obligates and coalesces all Israel, Therefore, it says, as a critique of Pinchas, he left the congregation. He got up from amidst the kahal that represented Torah. He went off the pathway. He separated himself from the congregation. Now, one can look at this two different ways, depending on what tone of voice you have him say. Either, he says, drastic measures cause for, or call for drastic behaviors and responses, in which case he kind of agrees with the previous interpreter. Sometimes you have to let the passions protect the well-being of the entire organism. I don't read it that way. I read him saying, yeah, like, I suppose on some level the Torah claps its hands afterwards and gives Pinchas a, a covenant of peace, but I see him as leaving normal thought and normal behavior, doing something that he felt was important because he was so certain about it that for the moment, he leaves Torah. He's no longer one of the letters. He's no longer one of the people. He thinks he is doing exactly what God wants me to do. You can imagine a lot of modern cognates of that. There are plenty of people who do disgusting things that cannot be undone because they are convinced in the moment, this is what God wants me to do. I'm so certain. In our country, so far, mostly, mostly, the violently extremist opinions, and the extent to which people hold them are mostly not leading to direct bloodshed that people are doing because they believe that God wants them to do it. We're not that far away. And we know in society that that can happen soon after a certainty is allowed to build and build unchecked. Let me pause for reactions before we look at the last source and I I bring this up. Gabriella, yes. Uh-huh. Hello. Interesting. So what Gabrielle is saying is that while the focus is on Pinchas, you can blame the leadership that we're ex- we expect to keep things in order and to act with sobriety. Since they didn't act, it, it opened the door for some, someone rogue. And that the leaders who didn't act on time were responsible. Interesting. I hear people who haven't spoken yet before. I want to hear everybody, but anyone who has not has spoken? Marnie? And then Paul. Yeah. Fascinating. That's great, Marnie. So what Marnie's saying is that when you're acting in, with inflamed passions, often, even if your intent was was beyond, you might even go beyond your own intent, because God never said anything about killing the women, the Moabite women, just killing the Israelites, doing things bad, and now a Moabite woman, who may or may not have been innocent in the story, is also gone. It's hard to control that urge. Uh, just parentheses, there's a classic midrash on why blood needed to be on the lintel on Exodus night, because if you're an angel being sent by God, don't you have a GPS? Don't you know which houses you're supposed to smite and which ones you're not? And the Midrash says, once the mashchit, the destroyer, is released, even God can't contain it. Even God couldn't tell the angel of death which 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 one to go. It had to be a physical marker on each house. Even God can't destroy God's own destructive urges once released. Uh, Paul. Good. So, Right. So certainly that that read, Paul, which I'll uh, um, paraphrase in a second for those on Zoom, agrees with at least my read of the second source, which is that justice ultimately has to be done soberly in society and vigilantes, even if they are convinced that they're right, are not the ones who are to be leading. And I want to make the claim, and I know this is a claim that you can disagree with, that's fine, that there's vigilantism that has spears and guns and leads directly to people dying. There's vigilantism of ideology as well. And you can be a part of a vigilante society that is directly and indirectly causing things down the line that might lead to bloodshed while you stand and think that you're, you're just a pure of thought. You're just, an, you're, just, you're just an ideologue. You just happen to think this really strongly in real certainty. That, to me, is the precursor to physical vigilante, which is why I think that the middle ground as much as possible even when we're concerned that society is threatened by a cancer, is probably the most accurate way to size up our obligations, although the Mincha Balula, the second commentary read, would disagree. I'm sensitive to the time, and I know this is a a topic longer than, than we really have time for. I want to end with two sections from Talmud in Masechet Sanhedrin. Fourth source. Amarav Yehuda Marav, Rabbi Yehuda said the name of Rav. Ain Haidim Chotmin Al-Ashtar, if you're asked to be a witness on a document, you do not agree to sign that document, Elaine Kane, unless Yodim Mahen, unless you know who's your co-signer, in terms of their character, in terms of what they believe. You don't agree to have your name on the ketubah unless the other witness in the ketubah, is someone that you would proud to co-sign with. This is reasonable, right? You want there to be some um a shared notion of how law works of how society operates and by you keep people on the edge by not permitting them to share your you know your your uh honored space on an important document if they're too far on the outside sorry like i I, i'm not gonna sign with you right it's a kind of a a non-violent way of saying some people are too far on the outside i think it's actually a respectable position by the way i um, live that out. As I am working with couples towards a couple of swords of chuppah, I make sure that the Eidim, the witnesses for the ketubah, are appropriate. Right? Are appropriate in terms of their connection to Judaism and appropriate in terms of their moral character. What do I really know about their moral character? You know, not that much, but I ask questions because I think this idea has merit. But the next, a, a few sections later, we have an intensifying of this idea which to me borders lines, is borderline problematic. Tanya Namahachi, we got a similar source found elsewhere amongst Tannaedic material. Tannaedic material means from the age of the Mishnah, and we're talking about this a couple hundred years later in the in the Gemara. There was a group of people who were known by themselves or by others as Nikiyeh Hadat. We are pure of belief. We're perfect. We are. We're angels. We're mystics, and we are the, the we are the ones who are. Pre- uh, protecting Jerusalem. By the way, the modern analog to this might be what's called the Naturei Karta. That's that very, very virulent anti-Zionist group of um, Haredim who live in Jerusalem, and they call themselves the Naturei Karta. We are the defenders of Jerusalem, which means by implication, everyone else, you're destroying Jerusalem. We're the defenders. We're the Hadad. And what was their stance? First, a re- a redux of what we learned before. They wouldn't sign a document unless they knew who was signing with them. Okay, I'm with you. But they went further. They wouldn't even enter a court with someone with whom they disagreed, with someone who they thought was on the other side of things. Unless they knew who was entering that court with them and agreed with them. Not only that, they wouldn't have a Shabbat meal. Now I'm modernizing it. They wouldn't deign to have a Shabbat meal with someone who voted that way on that issue, with someone who they sense supported that politician. Not only would they not agree to share their name on a document, they say, I, I can't even chill it with you. I can't sit next to you in shul. We can't say the Shema together because we mean different things when we say it. That's what it means to be Nikidat, pure of, of, of faith in Jerusalem me may save imahem, even though, unless they knew who was sitting with them, I don't know about you. I find this to be abhorrent. The Talmud is unclear: is it raising it up as a model, like a model of kind of excessive purity but still admirable, or is the Talmud raising it with a, a tear, saying this certainty in what we believe can be taken to a, such an extreme that we go from keeping our courtrooms pure to keeping our shuls pure? Shabbos tables pure? Is that how we want to live? Right? Every one of us seeing everyone else as a Pinchas or arrogating to ourselves the right to be a Pinchas and picking up the spear of our ideology and forcing other people to basically be injured as a result. That to me is a society that is certain to never regain the notion of indivisible. There are fissures in Jewish society and American society that are real and problematic and hard. I have no pat solutions to some of the many issues that plague us. But I am nervous about zealotry. And I'm nervous about certainty. And I'm nervous about people's certainty about their certainty. And I'm nervous about people not willing to read a single article or expose themselves to a thought or be sitting next to a person because they fear that that person's contribution to the illness of our society is too extreme are there such people in our country of course are most people that way are most jews that way if so then we're in greater danger than we thought and i don't think that we're there yet. but it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy if we don't realize the pinchas urges in ourselves and choose to moderate them and open ourselves up to a grander and more expansive word of god I think that's an incredible and important challenge in front of the Jewish people, in front of the American people. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.